847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode, I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's career, or by way of interviews with guests, uh, those in the industry, and also fellow fans. On this episode, I am joined by Marshall Harvey, editor for Movies and Television, uh, as well as being a uh, longtime movie music fan himself. I wanted to have him on the podcast to talk about his work in the industry, uh, the role that music plays in editing, uh, and also the films uh, for which he edited for director Joe Dante, such as The Burbs, uh, Matinee, and Small Soldiers. Welcome, Marshall. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Um, (laughs) Close by. Exactly. (laughs) It's a tough drive from Burbank. (laughs) Um, so I, uh, I wanted to kind of start with, uh, just your background, um, mm-hmm. as an editor, just sort of like, um, where, where you started, um, in, in the industry. Well, uh, I went to film school. Actually, I started with some friends making student films in high school and we won a couple of like teenage Kodak movie award <laughs> things. Huh. Um, and then Bob Rogers and I, uh, were accepted, uh, to the first year of California Institute of the Arts, the film school there. This is 1970. And I was there the very first three years. And it was my film teacher there, uh, who was a terrific film director by the name of Alexander McKendrick. He really wanted all of his film students to work on each other's films and not just make their own films. Uh And he kind of pushed me towards the editing room. He said, well, you're interested in telling stories and and the editor is really responsible, you know, working with the director to tell stories. And and, um, uh, I don't know, I think he just sensed that that would be a good place for me to be. So I ended up editing a, a couple of student films there, one of which was directed by Michael Pressman, and he went on to do a lot of television and a few few movies, like Ninja Turtles 2. Oh! oh. <laughs> and his first film, I worked on his first film as an assistant editor, um, which was a negative pickup, um, low-budget exploitation movie that Roger Corman uh, released at New World Pictures, huh. and that's how I met Joe Dante, actually. Oh, um, and it was that was Craig Saffin's very first score. Oh, the Great Texas Dynamite Chase, oh. and I cut the trailer. Okay, as well as working on the movie as an assistant. And um, back in those days, Joe and Alan Arkish were the heads of the New World Pictures trailer department, but they were also making their own movies like Hollywood Boulevard. So they were like, had way too much work to do. So I I happened to be around and they would occasionally call up and say, we need a trailer for such and such, or we need three TV spots for this release. And so I I was working freelance at that point and I would come in and 
and uh, do a couple of trailers, do a recut of a movie that Corman bought or something, you know, odd jobs like that. And I was not the only one. There was like a handful of different editors who were coming coming in and out of that um, New World picture. Real haphazard kind yeah, of environment. Yeah, yeah, But that's where I first met Joe. What was um, that, the early 80s? I no, guess, late, no, it was late, 1976, okay. 77. Oh, all right. I mean, and um because yeah he started i guess so. directing by the end of that decade yes or, yeah, yeah okay yeah piranha was like 78 i think and yeah 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 I, but i actually didn't get hired by him onto a movie until like 10 years later on the burbs which right. was 1988 so, wow yeah. um we'll talk about like you know the uh working with him as a director and you know since since obviously you know my, my focus is also on the the music side sure sort of like yeah I guess what role you know, when he has the project, what role when he's talking is, is how often does music come up when he's talking about the edit of the movie? Uh, actually, it comes up quite quite a lot. Um, one thing about Joe, he likes to he certainly likes to supervise the temp track music that's chosen. And I, I have, in fact, when I said I started making student films, they were all silent films, you know, in, in uh, you know, eight millimeter things back in high school. But since I was interested in music and had a small record collection then, um, I would be the guy who picked the music out to play with our student films. Oh, that's awesome. Know? And so I would love that job. Yeah, right. And it was fun. I would uh, take my vinyl and and record it onto a reel-to-reel tape recorder, and then figure out, well, okay, this scene is two minutes and ten seconds. What do I got? Yeah, what do I got? And then I'll edit the the tape yeah. to play along with the projector. You know. Uh, and funny enough, that's kind of what I still do today. Uh, I think just about every movie and TV production i have chosen the uh, temp scores oh nice because okay. it's just fun yeah and it gives me a chance to kind of go through all my cds and go hmm yeah this might work yeah, yeah. or i forgot how great this was I yeah played that in exactly a while. <laughs> yeah so it, it's a combination of being a film music fan and and uh, actual career but uh, joe and i have always tempted all all the temp you know, done all the temp scores. Well, I remember, and you know, that for for any of my listeners, they probably don't know this, but I, I mean, I read a lot about uh, his his some of his temping process, and it, I guess there was a long running joke about the Uh-oh. yeah the Bernard Herman. Yeah, well, <laughs> now you have to <clears throat> be old enough to flash back to the early you know, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, there wasn't that much uh, available commercially right and uh certainly not many scores had the quirky sensibility of joe's kind of movies that are comic and offbeat but a little edgy and a little scary well the one thing that was available was um uh, an lp called the great movie thrillers that bernard Herrmann mm-hmm. had re-recorded psycho vertigo north by northwest and the trouble with harry which was a comedy horror movie and one of the few comedy horror scores that were, was available so practically every gremlins all those movies that joe <laughs> did he would temp with trouble with harry 
<laughs> so by the time we got to Matinee, um, which was the second film I had worked on with Joe and Jerry Goldsmith, and uh, I, I said, you know, we, we can't put Trouble with Harry anywhere, you know, in this temp score please we got to avoid <laughs> trouble with harry this time and there was one scene that we tried several things and it just wasn't working and finally joe said just put in trouble with harry go, oh, okay <laughs> and magic, one scene. Magic so happened. jerry goldsmith saw the movie for the very first time at the director's preview hmm. Uh, at City Walk, I think it was. Anyway, and uh, so with a you know recruited audience for the preview, and he was sitting in the middle of the theater seeing the movie for the first time. And when that scene came up, uh, he very audibly shouted, "Oh God, not Benny Heron again!" <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knew what he was talking about except us. And I was like, "Oh God, I told you, I told you." What's funny about I knew this, so I, I knew that story, but I didn't know that an audience that it yeah. was in a that yeah, changes it because I'm like, wow, <laughs> wasn't a private that? screening, you wow. know? Wow, but well, that was really funny. He just shouted right out. Well, you know, it's funny, and you mentioned so like the the quality of of, of uh, Joe Dante's pictures being a, a weird, uh, unique mix. So yeah. as far as like how difficult was that to edit something like the Burbs is a weird one because it is kind of like scary. And quirky, um, like how I'm like, how do you find the tone? You know, editing, you know, scene to scene, like that's got to be difficult with his movies more than anybody else's. Uh, it's always it, it, it's really not an editorial problem until you show it to the studio, mm. and there's some executive who goes, "I don't get it. Is it funny or is it scary?" <laughs> well, it's both, and <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so they can get confused, but. Um, no, I've, 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 I mean, my favorite movies of all time are things like Doctor Strangelove and 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 things that are funny and also kind of serious, so, yeah, and have a point to them. And same with Joe. That's why we get along so so well together. We we appreciate that. You know, we both grew up with Mad Magazine, those kind of satires, and and uh, Stan Freeberg records mm -hmm. if anybody remembers those but i, I know the name but stan I don't know freeberg the... was like the predecessor of weird al back in the 1950s freeberg did um and they were hit records he would do parodies of alvis presley or the platters or whoever was the hot you know huh. thing 
and they're very funny. Wow. Uh, and and with mat- matinee is interesting because it it has such a sensitive story in it with the brothers, and it's like that was probably that also when I saw it it. It had all of, I think all of Joe Dante's movies have a heart to them, but that might, I don't know if that had that the biggest really heart. Does. Yes, it does. It does. And it's the most autobiographical. Oh, really? Of his films. I don't know if I knew yeah. that yeah. as much. But he had a little brother. Okay. He went to the movies. He was a movie freak and, and loved monster movies. And so, and he read famous monsters of Filmland magazine. That all and, makes sense now. Yeah, all yeah. those things. And and actually, the the Blu-ray of of uh, Matinee just came out uh, from Screen Factory. A screen, okay. And uh, has a lot of extras on it. And Joe talks about well, yeah, the movie posters in the movie are from his own collection. Wow. And the magazines, and I mean, you know, it's all stuff that he had saved and put in the movie. So there, there's a lot of interesting parallels and and he and i are the same age and we grew up during the cold war mm-hmm. in the late 50s and early 60s and i remember the very vividly the cuban missile crisis mm. when i was 12 years old frightening and um yeah yeah it was frightening especially I mean, for a kid yeah. i mean there's nothing on the news and the, the things that have happened uh, you know, even 9-11, I mean, uh, nothing compares to what it was like that weekend of wow. the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, wow. a lot of people thought, well, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is nuclear war. Right. Toe-to-toe with the Ruskies. Right. As they say in Strange Love. But, um, and... Uh, and with that project, with Matinee specifically, you all, how was it editing the movie as a whole, plus the, in, the, the Mant movie? Oh, right. You know, Everybody... So like, yeah, so like, did you cut like the Mant as a movie, and then like cut in scenes into matinee? Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it worked. Actually, the thing about uh, that project, uh, all the films within the film, all the Mant and and the trailers and everything, had to be shot the first week. Okay, and we were on location uh, at Universal in Orlando, Florida. Uh, so all that was shot the first week. We had to edit those scenes. We had to lock those scenes with Joe, uh, send them out for negative cutting, uh, and through opticals and everything else. So by the time at the end of the shoot, like six, seven weeks later, we had to have answer prints, mm-hmm. silent answer prints of all those things because they would be projected in the theater. Oh, wow. For the theater scenes. Oh, wow. So it was kind of tricky getting all that done. You know, opticals. Yeah. It wasn't CGI back then. It took time to do all those wipes and titles and everything. Um, I had had brought my vinyl LP of the Dick Jacobs recording of famous monster movie scores. It came out on Verez Saraband afterwards. And... um, and they were all from Universal movies, huh. uh, This Island Earth, and uh, Incredible Shrinking Man, and and you know all those movies scores were, right, right. were on that LP. So I transferred the LP to um, Magnetic Stock, and and tempt all the Mant scenes with <laughs> from my LP. When you see Matinee That's and Mant. All ninety percent of that music is from my vinyl <laughs> LP record.
Did um, did did Jerry Goldsmith score any of that with original music? No, no. And and when we showed him the feature, he, he was very relieved oh, to find out to. he didn't have to do because it's really hard to duplicate that kind of sound and everything. Yeah, and yet um, he did something in Explorers, which he he well yes on that he gave it to Alexander Courage. Oh, and okay. Alexander Courage did the film within the film, the okay. space movie music. And it's fine, and it works, but, you know, Mant is so prevalent all through, and all those trailers and everything, yeah. all the way through Matinee. Uh, so he was very it. happy not to <laughs> do that. And in fact, like I say, it's very hard to duplicate yeah. that kind of orchestration with those kind of old microphones. Exactly. It's just, it's also the recording technique. technique. Yeah, It's not exactly. just the composition. It's exactly. how does it sound, you know, uh, yeah. recording-wise. Right. Um, and that so movie that also has a, a really, again, a, a sensitive score, you know, by, by Goldsmith. Um, I, I like to think about, like, his career is so varied um, but what's interesting about it is how he shifted as an artist. And I sort of like to think about, well, if he had done that movie in a different decade, how would it have sounded? Because if he had scored Matinee in 1973 instead of 1990, was True. it 92 or 93? 93, that, you know, yeah. It would not sound like it does at all. True, you know? yeah. And he yeah. was already at a point in the early 90s where he was sort of, his sound was um, becoming more tonal and softening up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. not in any sort of sentimental way, but you can tell that like matinee also really spoke to him. I think, I think. One thing about Jerry Goldsmith, you knew he was going to save the movie, even if it wasn't working, because his scores were just so phenomenal. I mean, he really was a genius. And I wish he had done more comedies. I mean, he did all kinds of genres, but uh, mostly action films and so forth. But but he had a great sense of humor. Hmm. He really did. And, and the scores he did for Joe... Um, Really had a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had a... Within his yeah. career that Joe Dante, the his scores with Joe Dante are, are their own unique sort of bubble. You yeah. Know? It, yeah. Because it is, it it's crosses over with, you know, a, a comedic sensibility. You got the, the horror element, you know, and gremlins mm-hmm. and some of those that, that and and uh, and also some of his, his avant-garde stuff. Yeah. yeah it's a great cross-section, you know, but it's like his work with Dante is sort of set apart in its own unique yeah. bubble. Well, if he had scored other comedies, I think he, he would have been really, really good at it. Yeah. I mean, he could do anything, actually, yeah. you know. Um, well, and that's, so that brings us to my other question, just to kind of go back for a second. Like, mm-hmm. as a fan of film music, so it sounds like you had already been a fan before you were an editor? Or like, Oh, yeah. A, okay, so yeah. when you were, like... 
Well, I grew up in the 50s and I was a real TV baby. I loved cartoons and comedy shows and so forth. But I had an older brother and an older sister and they listened to AM radio all the time. And this is right when rock and roll was beginning, mm -hmm. right? the late 50s. And, um, and, you know, they would listen to these radio programs and the DJs would count down to the number one record of the week. Mm -hmm. So I was exposed to Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry and all those. And, and then one day, I was nine years old, they said, here's the number one selling uh, record of the week. It was the theme from Peter Gunn. Oh. And I went, this is not rock and roll. What is this? <laughs> Nobody's singing. And, but I loved it. And, and that became my favorite thing. TV show called Mr. Lucky. Oh, yeah. And I noticed also oh, yeah, both Henry, Henry Mancini. Mancini. Yeah. So I became a huge Henry Mancini fan um, in middle school and high school. And and right, right around then, I, I was really interested in music. So I um, started playing the French horn oh. in the school band and orchestra and so forth. Um, I, at that time, I either wanted to be an actor like Jack Lemmon. Good luck. <laughs> uh, or, um, or a musician. But I never could sight read worth a damn. And uh, I had the same problem. Yeah. I played and, clarinet. Oh, man. And, and so I struggled. I, I was okay, but I was never good enough to really become a professional musician. So by the time I got into high school, I started, you know, making these student films and everything. Uh, but the two kind of came together. My, In fact, most film editors that I've met have some sort of musical background. Oh. They either played an instrument at some point or something, you know. I, it all has to do with rhythm yeah, or something. but that is know. fascinating. I, didn't, I mean, yeah. it's, it, I didn't, that's interesting that it's commonplace or that it's... It, it is, it is. Uh, it, film editors and stand-up comics all have a musical... <laughs> you know, Mel Brooks played the drums. Oh, and, I don't think I realized that. Yeah, oh, and uh, and Woody Allen plays the clarinet. Right. A lot of stand-up comics have, That's have so interesting. Yeah, some you, sort of musical ability. Tempo, timing, all yeah, of that comes yeah, into play. Yeah, and the first jobs I had was for a small production company in Hollywood, and we did a lot of documentaries. We did early music videos. Oh. But they were on 16 millimeter, and it was before <laughs> MTV, so they, they were known as music promotion films. And uh, I don't know where they showed them, but... Uh, That's a good question. <laughs> the first thing I professionally cut as an editor 
because um, I worked a lot as an assistant and finally worked my way up a little bit. But uh, the first thing I did was the Carpenters singing Please Mr. Postman in Disneyland. Wow. That was my first music promo film. Wow. But we did things for, you know, a lot for Capitol Records. I did a TV spot for uh, David Bowie. Huh. And... Uh, and uh, several, you know, music promo films for A and M Records. We did all of A and M Records. So um, yeah, throughout my career, I mean, music and film have kind of been tied together in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, because it's I think about it, you know, as far as the uh, getting the the rhythm down, and and now, I mean, do you find that it's to the point where? I mean, again, I've read about this stuff a lot, and sometimes with temp scores, that is it. Do you find that directors get Again, married to the temp score. Yes, know. that's a conundrum. Um, it it varies. The thing is, when we did the Burbs, uh, Joe Dante and Jerry Goldsmith had done Gremlins. They had done Explorers. They had worked together a few times. Yeah. So by the time we did the Burbs, they had a really good working relationship. And uh, Goldsmith had no problem at all listening to the temp music. In fact... He and Joe knew how to use that as a communication device. Okay. Um, as far as, uh, well, this is kind of the feel of what we're going for here, you know. It doesn't have to be exactly this. <laughs> okay. Um, so Joe never had what we known what's known as temp love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> occasionally, you know, this really works well, but... but um, and Jerry was very open, very open to listening to things and was very complimentary Okay. Uh, oftentimes because uh, we'd listen to the temp as we spotted the, the movie. And, With uh, for the Burbs, I find it, I wonder, was there anything because there's, there he kind of had to parody Patton in the Burbs yeah, a well, bit. Yeah, that was his, yeah. I, and was there any pushback of like, I don't really feel like... No, no, he was totally into that. I thought that was fun. And what about the Morricone? uh... Well, Joe, when we were shooting, Joe said, well, I'm going to shoot some of this kind of like a Sergio Leone Western. Okay. And so you might think about temping some of it with Morricone, who's my favorite composer, so no problem. Um, But, (laughs) well, if if anybody out there has the Blu-ray from... uh, Shout video that's coming out in a couple of weeks, oh. or the Arrow video Blu-ray of the Burbs from uh-huh. a couple of years ago. One of the extras uh, in this package is uh, the Joe's uh, first director's cut preview cut that we, I guess, transferred to VHS huh. so he would have a record of it. Well, he gave it to Shout Video and Arrow Video, um, and they. <laughs> So that's an extra. You can watch the whole movie wow. in its rough work print form with Tim all score. the tech music. Wow. And it was kind of interesting. <laughs> Twenty, You know, it's been, what, 30 years or something? And, and it's like, oh, that's what we used. But there's Bernard Herrmann. There's Twilight Zone music. There's... Um, but it's kind of an interesting comparison between what Jerry imagine. did and, and what... And that's rare for anyone like an audience, a fan, to get a, a oh, window very into that. I mean, very I think, rare. I think the Blade Runner set, the Ridley Scott has the temp score in one. Really? Place. Yeah. There's like it was from maybe ten was. years ago. Huh. But he he had used some of Planet of the Apes. Really? Yeah. 
surprisingly. I know it's 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 nuts because then yeah. Vangelis sounds yeah. nothing like that. I mean, you know, a temp track is always kind of a patch patchwork quilt. Is yeah. that what they call yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's from different sources and, and it's a real d- yeah potpourri. <laughs> so what Goldsmith would do would be a million times better. Yeah. Um, and he had themes, but there is one funny story about that. Which uh, I think on this Blu-ray you can. There was a scene with no dialogue, and it's a scene where Tom Hanks and uh, Art, the other neighbor, are daring each other to walk up to the Klopek house and ring the doorbell. Mm-hmm. And Joe shot it slightly slow mo as they make their big walk towards the door, and all the other neighbors. There's Leone type push-ins mm-hmm. into tight close-ups of everybody watching this, including Gail Gordon's little puppy dog, right? Which is silly. <laughs> <clears throat> so I found a piece by Morricone from uh, My Name is Nobody, which had just the right tempo. It just matched the tempo of them walking, you know, up the sidewalk. And uh, I made the big faux pas that no editor, film editor should ever do. I cut the footage to this temp track music. Wow. Which meant Jerry was going to be locked into that tempo and that, you know, everything. Which I thought, well, he's Jerry Goldsmith. He can do it. (laughs) What's the big deal? (laughs) So he scored that scene two or three different times. And it was... Still not quite working. Now, what he composed was perfectly good. I mean, in fact, it was very good. Yeah. And on this DVD or Blu-ray, uh, I think they show the scene with his score. Yeah. It's only a minute long. And then and then with the Morricone. I have to take a look at that. What made the Morricone work so well, uh, it's got Jerry off the hook, uh, <laughs> was the orchestration. The it's very operatic, and it's just over the top, mm-hmm. and you put it with this silly scene, and it's really funny, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because Morricone has the big orchestra and the organ and a huge choral group, and it's just and it builds and builds and builds. something i kind of like the universal horror movie music where you it, it's kind of hard to duplicate it's again it's part of yeah. it. it's like it's it's yeah. it's the authenticity of when it's kind of hard to compare to do that authenticity again on purpose yeah. you know that that's not morricone right right 
Well, Jerry was great at Western scores, and oh, he completely. had composed for yeah. the Tom Hanks character a wonderful, uh, typical American Western yeah. hero kind of yeah. theme. And it's on the CD, and it's in the movie. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it it worked, and he hit all the beats, but, but uh, somehow Morricone's big buildup, and then it resolved. And I knew, just instinctually, I knew, well... You know, I have all these close-ups of everybody watching. If this scene, if the music built, big, built, built, built to a big crescendo and then resolved, and I cut to the the dog's face mm-hmm. as the music, res- as the melodic line resolved, it would be very funny. And it, it was. <laughs> and that was the one thing he just, he just couldn't. It's tough. Get. That's tough. But fortunately, My Name is Nobody was owned by Universal, so it was oh. like well, really pro- cheap pro- to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry was not thrilled, but he got over it. But I, I always, to this day, I feel so bad that I, I did that. <laughs> Now, when it came to uh, small soldiers, Man. what was what was the temp for like for for small soldiers? Because again, that's ninety eight, and um, you gosh, know. That, I, you know, I don't even remember what we used, but it was probably a mixture of all kinds of stuff. Okay, because uh, it has I mean, a military uh, march theme, right? It has yeah. almost a, a Patton type, you know, mm-hmm. uh, trumpet thing, and then it has Johnny comes marching home. I think yeah. in it as well. I'm just wondering yeah. if that came from a, the temp, um, or if it was just that Dante. Might have come from the temp. Okay. Yeah. Um, we might have used because we used that. It it, it could have been from Doctor Strangelove even because they used oh, that. Yeah. Right, right. Right. I think we also we did a t, uh, HBO movie before that called Second Civil War that Hummy Man uh, composed. The score, and I think we used Johnny Comes Marching Home okay. in that, too. So I don't know what we used in Small Soldiers. Huh. It was a lot of stuff. Probably a, a lot of Silvestri. And okay. The one thing Joe made a point of, he said, let's never play Jerry's music from another movie in you know, because yeah. he'll just repeat himself. <laughs> that, that's what he said. But, but it, so it was interesting because a lot of times composers, like there's a famous story with Sisters where De Palma and the editor Paul Hirsch had tempted in psycho music mm-hmm. on Sisters. And they showed it to Bernard Herrmann and he, he jumped up out of the seat and refused to watch the movie. He says, this music is psycho. Your movie isn't psycho. <laughs> and he wouldn't watch it with a him. And he goes, oh, this is a big mistake. But I could see that if I was a composer yeah. and I was hearing, okay, well, you want me to do the same thing again. But, you know, I don't know. But if yeah. they hear other music from other composers in there, it's like maybe it's, 
maybe yeah. it's not quite as difficult. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I can I can understand that yeah. one. Um, so as far as like you know Jerry Goldsmith's music for Dante movies, do you have a favorite uh, from either? You know, ones that you did work on or didn't work on, just from the from the Joe Dante movies. Well, Burbs is a great score, but um, yeah. from what I haven't worked on, uh, I'd say Explorers. Oh, okay. Which unfortunately was not a successful movie, but but boy, that score is yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it just soars. It's... Like, you know, in terms of, like, that process, did you, like, you would sit with Joe Dante and Jerry Goldsmith and, and go through, would you be there for the spotting session? Oh, to yeah. Go through? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how was that discussion in terms of, like, you know, because I knew Jerry Goldsmith had talked about, like, you know, the less music, the better. And would he make comments about, like, you know, if Joe wanted music in a certain scene, would Jerry push back and say, I don't think you need it? Or would he usually be like, okay. Um, that probably happened occasionally, usually, uh, because the temp music would like kind of stop and start and stop and start. He, he would, he would say, you know, I'll, I'll start it where you started it, but I'm going to keep going through this and then, and you know, uh, so actually he'd do more music than what we had. Done, oh, wow. but, um, but there may have been, okay. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he was a composer who knew the value of not having any music in certain places and that's yeah. a pet peeve i have today about scores which is another topic i wanted to talk about yeah. was how, how you know what are you seeing now you know what are those trends good or bad and this well we all love hans zimmer he's a wonderful composer but when he works with chris nolan that director says i want music to never stop yeah <laughs> and i'm watching dunkirk and i'm going Okay, enough with the music. Stop already. Just do some sound effects here. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, I had it, that. It just seems to be experience. too much. Yeah. Now that could be because I'm older. I'm sure it doesn't bother younger audiences nearly as much as it does me. But but there is a value for not having any music in certain places. And then when yeah. the music comes in, it has something to do. Yeah, you know, it's adding an emotion or, or there was something in Dunkirk. I wrote a I wrote a little one on on my blog about it last year because I had seen Raiders at the Bowl live and mm. saw Dunkirk the same weekend, and I was comparing ah. them as far as like 
they're both World War II set, even though Raiders isn't a World War II movie at all. But right. it's like it's still so you're dealing with a German element, things like that. Yeah. Um, so they're movies that take place in that time period. But the the scoring differences are are you know so different. But there's a scene in Dunkirk that's an emotional scene. There's a character that dies unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and while I'm watching the movie, I like no like the music's never commenting on it. Like literally, the music continues yeah. as if like the same thing it, as if there's a plane going by, or like you're not even watching it. It's like, yeah. but I realize I'm wondering if the music is supposed to be an objective component throughout the film. Yeah, I think that's what they were going for. And and Nolan wanted the audience to feel the intensity of being in that kind of situation. Yeah. No matter what was going on around you, it, it, you know, you could get killed at any second. So, yeah. So that, he wanted to keep that intense. So I kind of get what they were going for, but I don't know. So uh, Goldsmith certainly was a master of... of knowing when to score and when not to score <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I feel like it got more difficult you know in the later years for yeah. him to fight for silence yeah, yeah, yeah. um in, in a lot of those yeah. pictures um and uh and but he would still you know do fantastic work you yeah. know in in all those in all those movies um do you have a you know i know you said it's difficult to pick a top five or top 25 <laughs> goldsmith but it's non-joe dante movies i mean do you have a favorite era even of goldsmith Oof. or um Gosh. Um, boy, that's it's a toughie. I yeah, can't decide. I, they just played uh, at this concert, this Oscar concert uh, last week. They played uh, "Great Train Robbery." I read, which uh, I don't think has ever been performed in a live concert setting. But boy, it was terrific. I read it had been done in the UK at some point really? years yeah. ago. But and uh, yeah, but I otherwise I know there yeah. was a there's a great recording of it. Um, that was it from an album years ago. But it was yeah. done for the album. It wasn't a live recording. And it's I've something I've always wanted to see, yeah. and I did not get to go to that concert. Oh, uh, when we were doing what was it? Uh, yeah, Small Soldiers, I think. We were spotting. We went out to lunch, and uh, Jerry had had done a couple of re-recordings for Sarah Band. Uh, yeah, by then he'd done one, yep. I think. And Streetcar Pebbles, Named Desire. Streetcar, and, yeah, and uh, and he had also for Entrada done uh, a couple of his own scores, right? Uh, you know, overseas where they could be done. Cheaply. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Islands in the Stream. Yeah. And Rio that? Conchos. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rio Conchos is great. So we were talking. I said, uh, boy, are you going to do any more of the re-records? Of, uh, and I had just seen Seconds on TV. I said, why don't you re-record Seconds? That is such a brilliant score. He said, oh, it's too short. We'd have to couple it with something i said oh boy but seconds would be and i was so glad when uh was it la la land yeah they up? released yeah. that and it's yeah. the weirdest double header because it's seconds with iq oh yeah 90s. And yeah it, i mean weird they could header. not be more diametrically <laughs> opposed you really have yeah. to like listen to one stop come back later and listen to the other because yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. do them back to back it but, is boy that, that's a terrific movie and and a weird movie but uh it's, it's one of those some really of the string scary... sections are so beautiful and he uses an organ and it has some creepy parts to it yeah. um yeah, there, there's definitely yes yeah, that and, and it kind of goes along with shock treatment and some of the others from mm. from the 60s again that he just gets a weird creepy vibe out of you know yeah. the orchestra but there's a melancholy too yes in the sad the sad 
sections. It's yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I find that in a lot of his work, but I don't find it like, it's not obsessively melancholy. I mean, it's appropriately, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, I get that and he handles it really well. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, did he ever talk about, as far as like, you know, the, you know, like when you were doing movies, did he talk about like other things in the industry going on that he... That you know uh, bothered him, or <laughs> yeah, a few, yeah, a few things, yeah, certain things. Yeah, uh, yeah, he seemed to be an outspoken guy. I, I uh, he wouldn't, yeah. yeah, yeah, and a bit of a curmudgeon at times. Yeah, but also very sweet. Yeah, I'll tell you when we did Looney Tunes back in action, which I think was his. Oh my gosh, last yeah, you're right. score. One of yeah, yeah. He was battling cancer, and we we all knew he was ill. Um, but you know he wanted to do the do the movie for Joe and everything, and um, so we had spotted it, and he was back home composing, writing, and and a couple of weeks went by, and I got a phone call in the editing room. I've told this story to friends of mine all the time, but I got a phone call. Now usually at that point in post production, when the composer calls the editing room, it's to bitch about something like. <laughs> So when my assistant said, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's on the phone for you, I went, oh, no. What did I do? He's going to want something changed or altered or or he's going to yell at me for making a last minute cut or, oh, dear. So I pick up the phone and he, and he says, and, you know, he was sick, right? Yeah. <clears throat> he said, Marshall, I just called to tell you what a wonderful editing job you've done on this. Everything I want to do musically just automatically fits. It just, it's just terrific. It's coming out great. You did a great job. And I'm going, Jerry Goldsmith's calling me <laughs> to compliment me? Are you kidding? <laughs> and he's ill. You know, I mean, oh, man. I mean, what a sweet wonderful person yeah it, se- it seemed like that yeah the people that knew him you know that that he he really had a he was really a a, a nice guy a really yeah. sweet guy yeah yeah and hard And that idea, and that so the bringing up Looney Tunes, so that was like the last project that that, uh, that you know that he did. And so um, it's uh, he uh, John Debney came on to. Right. Uh, so what was the situation? With, well, with that? Uh, we went back and reshot the ending and oh. a- added a whole another ten minute reel of nonsense um, <clears throat> against our will. Um, <laughs> they had some funny things in it, but it was just like enough already. Um, anyway, so that that was uh, a reshoot, and at that point, 
the cancer was just getting worse and the, the chemotherapy he just wasn't able to complete you know do the last 10 minutes of the movie so he had so, wrapped i mean like he had in his in his mind like his job was done he well had... uh kind of okay kind of but um uh he did uh, uh conduct two or three days okay of the recording uh, and then he'd turn it over to Mark McKenzie when he was just too oh, okay. exhausted. Who was, yeah, who was his orchestrator at the time, yeah, I think, yeah. too. and Mark conducted some of the cues. So the Looney Tunes thing, it was, uh, it was a bittersweet experience because wow. we knew he was ill. Um, and that particular movie had a lot of difficulties in post-production. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rewriting, a lot of reanimating. And a lot of very nervous producers, not sure if they got the jokes or not. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit just as far as you as a fan in general. Like, So you mentioned earlier, so Morricone is your top favorite. Uh, it's He's the composer I listen to the most. I okay. Think, and I have... 400 scores or something of his oh my god i think he wrote 400 scores no 500 <laughs> oh, shoot <laughs> I don't know, maybe i have 390 i don't know I that's incredible counted, i have that, a lot that is a complete um uh i mean and you know i love goldsmith i love williams i love james horner everybody i have the past in my adult years i have been collecting a lot of um french and italian oh. soundtracks uh, when I was a teenager, I saw a movie called King of Hearts. Just by chance, it was a B movie on a double bill. Um, and that music by George Delarue really just hit huh. me like a ton of bricks. I loved it. Um, and then in college, I started to see all the Truffaut movies right. that Delarue did. And so I became a big uh, Delarue fan and collector mm -hmm. uh and then morricone and then morricone was the gate gateway composer to a lot of other italian composers or maybe it was nina rota and then ah. morricone but but i've been collecting a lot of italian soundtracks i don't know why that that <laughs> that music just i don't know i enjoy listening to it and, and you're I and, never tire of it so. and it's one of these things where you know i have I've, I've kind of talked about this before you know with friends of mine and even written about it on my blog like as a collector when you get to be like a certain kind of soundtrack collector it doesn't matter whether you see the movie yeah, yeah that's it, true it, yeah. there's a yeah i mean most of the um european uh, scores i have on cd i haven't seen the movie yeah you may never see it and probably will never yeah yeah uh a few i've seen the movie um desert island score that uh if i was stuck on a desert island i'd yeah. probably pick piero piccioni's uh, swept away okay which takes takes place on a desert island oh, so wow. it's perfect <laughs> how you know? convenient but it's a beautiful score i love i love bossa nova stuff and then and then uh, wow yeah now, as, are there any, you know, as far as like being a collector for a long time, seeing changes in film music trends, um, do you connect with any newer composers? Or is it, uh, you know... Well, I mentioned Delarue, and yeah. um, now we have Alexandra Desplat, yeah. who just won the other night, and um, who I've gotten his autograph a couple of times. A very nice man. Yeah. I love his music, yeah. and... Uh, 
when I saw Birth and the girl with the pearl earring, mm -hmm. I think we're too early. Um, my friend Henry Stanny, mm -hmm. uh, who's a huge soundtrack collector, uh, he found all of Delarue's like early scores from from France. Huh. Or uh, Displaz. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Displaz scores. <laughs> scores. And uh, boy, those are those really some terrific things. Yeah, he's a real bright so, spot. I I, yeah. um, I came mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, really for me, Grand Budapest Hotel, mm -hmm. for some reason, like completely like it's spoke fun. to me. I yeah. love the movie and I love, you know, Wes Anderson's yeah. movies, yeah. but like that score, I'm like, and so I started seeking out. That's when I went back and got birth. Uh, Godzilla was another one I liked. I think it was from the same year as. But as he did Budapest. a lot of films in France before, he did. And, he, yeah. and and a lot of them are really, really. Terrific. Don't have to seek those out. Uh, so he's a favorite, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's I, it's it's funny. I, I feel like at this point, as a collector, like when I started, you know, being a fan in the '80s. Um, like at that point, the guys who were Rosha, Mike Miklos Rosha fans were complaining about ah. film, the changes in film music and they're yeah. like, oh, James Horner, he's no Miklos Rosha. Ah. And I'd be ah. like, oh, come on, listen to Kroll. Um, yeah. and now I'm that older collector <laughs> who's like, well, you know, these guys, it's like, oh, it's, well, it's competent, but like, you know, what, what that, that guy just did for that Marvel movie or whatever is mm -hmm. never going to be. You know, yeah. it's never going to be a Superman. It's never going to be a Horner score or anything like that. It's it's. There's you know. a lot of talented composers working these days. Unfortunately, the trend is non-melodic scores. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about Dunkirk and so forth being kind of objective rather than. Yeah. Emotional. Yeah. It doesn't have a point. Of, it doesn't take a point of view. Right. It's melodically more, or like a sound effect. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, and that's kind of the trend. I see a lot of things. I go, well, yeah, that music works in the movie. It's nothing I would buy or listen to again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's... there's no hook there that's grabbed me. Yeah. Um, and there are exceptions, of course. But um, I tend to like more melodic scores. That could be why I like the Italians so much, too. <laughs> really? I don't know what it is. Maybe because my gateway composer was Manzini. You know? Oh, that's... Manzini, Neil Hefty, Lalo Schifrin. I mean, yeah. And Goldsmith, all these guys, uh, and Bernard Herrmann. Uh, they had the amazing ability to come up with a melody or a sound that just grabs you yeah and doesn't let go i just finished a little project for um my friend bruce kimmel directed a it's a broadway musical that the sherman brothers wrote oh back in 1979 1980 with a book by larry cohen the movie huh. director um and they put it on it had never been produced and so bruce said uh well we have a Sherman brother, an original Sherman Brothers score musical that's never seen the light of day. So he staged it, uh, staged a production of it, <clears throat> and the last couple of performances of it they videotaped. So I just finished editing that together, and uh, boy, talk about earworms! Uh, <laughs> well, the Sherman, mean, the Sherman Brothers, Brothers could, the Sherman yeah. Brothers. Could, so mean, they talk uh, about. You know, it's Mary a small Poppins. world. Yeah, I was trying to think of all the Disney movies that they... Mary Poppins, I mean... And then this thing, it's based on the life of uh, Levi Strauss, who huh. made the Blue Jeans right. in, during the gold rush in San Francisco. And, and uh, 
you know, I mean, the, every song they wrote is just, it gets gets in your head and it won't leave. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they were, uh, I, Richard Sherman is a, was, is a genius at, uh, at Melody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, That's incredible. I had no idea. That'll be something fun. to look forward to. Well, yeah, if it's produced again, but... I think they're going to make some Blu-rays of the show. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Well, I appreciate you taking time uh, to to talk to. You. I really just you know wanted to. Uh, Where's the clock? Have we run out of time? Oh well, I mean it's it's it's, uh, it's up to you. You know we can. Oh certainly... no, I'm good. <laughs> I've pretty much run out of stories. <laughs> well, if you think yeah, of any fun. others, um, uh, we'll come back. We'll do a part two. Ah. Um, but I appreciate you taking time for sure. this. This I, I really do and sharing your experiences. So, um, if you want, are people able to find you on social media? Um, no. Okay. I mean, you, don't, I mean, you don't have to be. I usually ask that, you know, I'm if you're. IMDB and stuff. But that works. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I'm around. Well, thanks again, Marshall. I sure. appreciate it. So this wraps up my conversation with film and TV editor Marshall Harvey. I'd like to again thank Marshall for participating and sharing his background and insights uh, and experiences uh, from working in his part of the industry and also his thoughts on uh, on movie music. And of course, I want to thank everyone for listening today. As always, I hope you found it both entertaining and informative. Music heard in today's episode is from the following films. The Trouble with Harry by Bernard Herrmann. Tarantula, composed by Henry Mancini, uh, Matinee by Jerry Goldsmith, My Name is Nobody by Ennio Morricone, The Burbs by Jerry Goldsmith, Theme from Peter Gunn by Henry Mancini, Explorers by Jerry Goldsmith, and Looney Tunes Back in Action by Jerry Goldsmith. If you'd like to send any comments or questions to the show, you can email me at escortasettlepodcast at gmail.com, find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com, and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash settle. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That's always, always appreciated. Uh, so thanks again for listening. 